So in this series, Jesus did what? Uh, we are looking at the life of Christ and how we are to live like Christ. In 1 John 2, 6, John the Apostle said, and let's read it out loud together, anyone who says he is a Christian should live as Christ did. So what does that mean? That if you're going to be a Christian, you have to live as Jesus lived. Uh, does that mean that we eat like Jesus ate? That'd be hard because he, he was on a Mediterranean diet. They didn't have West Texas barbecue in, whole, in the Holy Land 2,000 years ago. So it's not saying that we're to eat like Jesus ate. We're not even to dress as Jesus dressed 2,000 years ago. We're not even to find a dwelling place and live literally like he lived because Jesus said foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. When John says we're to live like Jesus and the goal of every Christian is to be more and more like Christ, what is he saying? Well, we're to live according to the moral code that Jesus lived by. We're to live according to his teachings and his commandments. We're to love God like Jesus loved the Father. We're to love one another because he commanded us to not just put up with one another, but to love one another. We're even to love our enemies as Jesus loved his enemies and died on the cross for all of us. So to live like Jesus, we talked about a couple of weeks ago that, you know, Jesus used saliva to heal three separate individuals. So we talked about how sometimes we have to be willing to get a little dirty to live clean. Last week we talked about how at times it appeared as though Jesus was running late, that he would show up to an appointment late intentionally as a result of it, two people died and so we we talked about what it means when God tarries or doesn't show up when and how we would like him to show up in our lives and this weekend we're going to talk about Jesus's apparent wastefulness that Jesus would do things in excess take for example when uh, when Jesus turned the water to wine the very first miracle that he had performed at the wedding of Canaan in John's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. So, of these water pots, they were filled with water, and then Jesus turned that water to wine, was anywhere from 150 to 180 gallons of the best wine anybody had ever tasted. And he did this towards the end of the reception after everyone, the Bible clearly tells us, had already had enough to drink. They were well drunken. Not drunk, but they were full. And yet, in excess, in an extravagant way, he gives them more, 150 to 180 gallons of more wine. Now, let's say there were about 300 people attending that wedding, which would be a very generous uh, amount in, in those days. That would mean, if there was 150 gallons of new wine, that would mean 64 ounces of wine per guest in addition to what they had already had to drink which tells us what everything that the Lord does he does good measure pressed down shaken together and running over he does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to his powers that, that is at work within us that God wants to bring you into a good land into a blessed land a land that flows with milk and honey that God is not stingy that God has an abundance mentality. That's his M.O. Everything he does, he does over the top. Take, for example, when Jesus fed the 5,000 in the, in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 6, verse 12, it says this. 
After everyone was full, everybody say full. After everyone was full, and, and we know it was 5,000 men, if you included the women and children, the estimate is close to 20,000 people were fed that day. And God wanted to make sure that everyone was full. Then Jesus told his disciples, now, very important, now, after everyone was full, now, gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So after everyone had more than enough to eat, because God wants you to be full, he wants you to be full of his joy, he wants you to be full of faith, he wants you to be full of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't want any of us operating on half empty or on empty. He wants us to be full. Matter of fact, one of my favorite verses uh, as a young Christian is found in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 10, and it says this, when you have eaten and are full, everybody say that word again, full. Many of us, you, are going to go to lunch after service, and you're going to eat till you're, say it with me, full, right? Then you're going to take a long nap. Then you're going to get up, and you're going to go exercise a little bit, just walk around the block a little. Bit. So when you've eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he's given you. Every time your stomach's full, you should say, God, thank you. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your blessings. And when God gives us his provision and his blessings, it's always good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now, here's the interesting thing about God, about Jesus. Most every time you see Jesus in the gospel spending time with people, guess what he's doing? He's eating. He's sharing a meal. Every time you see him, he's sitting down sharing a meal. I just finished reading through the Gospel of John in my devotional reading through Scripture, and this is post-resurrection. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. He begins to appear at different times to different individuals, to his apostles, disciples, and followers. Well, right after the resurrection, Peter was feeling very down and discouraged, rightfully so. He had denied the Lord on three occasions. So Peter, discouraged, said, I'm going fishing. I'm, I'm going back to fishing. So Jesus, in his grace, mercy, and sovereignty, is going to re-recruit Peter because Peter's the linchpin. Peter's the one that's going to hold it all together until the apostle Paul shows up later on. He's the leader of the pack. This is a strategic team member, and he's feeling really low and really down. So he goes fishing, and all the other guys, because he's a leader, they say, we're going to go fishing with you. So Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, shows up. He's on the shore, and guess what Jesus is doing? He's making breakfast. This is the resurrected Savior. And when they recognize that it's Jesus, they, they rush to the shore. They, some jump in, Peter jumps in the water and swims to the shore, and there's Jesus, and they sit down and they share a meal with, with Jesus. You know, one of the things, there's a lot of things I'm looking forward to, to in, in, when getting to heaven. But you know that we're going to be eating food in heaven, and it will be like calorie-free food, and it's going to be awesome. Matter of fact, one of the very first things that God does when we get to heaven is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is in the Bible. It's right after the rapture, before the, the kingdom of God comes upon the earth. And the marriage supper of the Lamb is when all the saints come together and we have a massive celebration in heaven. And I know what's on the menu. If you want to know what's on the menu, I looked it up this week just to make sure I was right. Is you can find it in Isaiah chapter 25. Here's what's going to be on the menu. For those of you that are vegans, no judgment, but I'm sorry, meat is on the menu, okay? 
So get ready. And for you Baptists or former Baptists, wine is also going to be served. Now, when God makes it or God serves it, then you can drink it as much as you want. Okay? So there's going to be food in heaven. You see, God enjoys fellowship. God enjoys relationship. And some of the strongest bonding moments in our lives are the meals that we share together. And it's no coincidence that we come to the Lord's table and partake of the, of the Lord's Supper, we call it, the communion elements. Once again, it's the eating of the bread and the drinking of the juice, which represents the spiritual symbolism of it, but it also represents the fact that we are family, and all families share meals together. But everything Jesus did, he did with extravagance, almost seemingly wasteful, but he wasn't. He was exceeding expectations. That's the good thing about God. If you will put God first in your life, Matter of fact, Jesus said this, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. If you'll put, put God first place in your life, he will exceed your expectations of how he will bless you coming and going. You'll be the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. You could live under the blessing of God. This is what he has promised he, is, he has an abundance mentality, not a scarcity mentality. But God is not wasteful. I love this about Jesus. He created enough food from a little boy's lunch, enough for everyone to eat until they were full. You want some more? Come get seconds. You want some more? Come get thirds. All right, is everybody full? Yeah, we're full. That was awesome. Thank you, Lord. You're the best. All right, guys, what's left over? And they accumulated the broken fragments, one translation says. They accumulated the broken fragments of what was left over and 12 basketfuls. There's that word again. <laughs> 12 basket, baskets full of leftovers. Now, we don't know what he did with those leftovers. Maybe he gave them to that little boy because, you know, he gave his lunch. So Jesus gave back to him good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. We don't know. Or maybe one basket for each of the, of the, of the apostles, 12 apostles, uh, 12 baskets. But he wanted to make sure nothing was wasted. You know, every parent in here, we know the importance of teaching our kids not to be wasteful, right? We turn off the light if you're not in your room, right? And growing up, one of the most challenging things as a parent is to get your kids, number one, to eat. It was always a, a wrestling match to get our boys to eat. I mean, they just did not have an appetite like I thought they should have had. Matter of fact, they started off a little behind the, the eight ball, you know, so to speak, as far as weight-wise. When my boys were born, they were 5 pounds, 12 ounces. Nathan was 5 pounds, 12. The nurse said, he's 5 pounds, 12 ounces. I didn't believe it. I said, what? He's 5 pounds, 12 ounces. I said, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. She got irritated. 5 pounds, 12 ounces. <laughs> sorry. I thought he was going to be a 10-pound boy. That's what I was believing God for. Now, Gloria wasn't. She's the one that had to give birth to that baby. But we were always, you know, put some meat on those bones, boy. Eat, eat your food. Eat, you know, we would bribe them, threaten them, everything, you know. And just don't like wasting food, and we want you to grow and be healthy. I have a family member, shh, don't say anything, that uh, when we go out to eat, they don't eat all their food. And usually I'm the one paying for it. And here's what happens. They get full eating the chips and salsa or the bread and butter that they bring out to the table. And they just keep eating because they're hungry. They keep eating. And then they order their meal, and they're like, oh, I'm not that hungry. 
And then that would be okay, but then the services, would you like a to-go box? I'm like, no. I'm like, no. <laughs> so I got wise. I make sure and order something that they don't order. And then when it comes out popping hot, I said, can I have some of that? Sure. Thank you. About half. Because I want to make sure it's all good. I'll eat mine plus that because I don't want to leave anything behind. No leftovers. I want nothing wasted. Amen. So that's how God is. You know, when it comes to your life, nothing's wasted, my friend. He's able to take the broken fragments of our lives, the mistakes that you've made and I've made, the sins we've committed or the sins that have been committed against us, the bad things of our lives, which God's not the author of the bad things in your life. He's not the author or the, or the creator of evil, but he'll use it. He'll use it for his glory and for your good. He'll take what others meant for evil, and as Joseph said to his brothers in the book of Genesis, yes, you meant it for evil. You hated me. You were jealous of me. You envied me. You plotted to kill me, and you ended up selling me as a slave to the Ishmaelites. But God used this for his glory and my good. God meant it for good. So God doesn't leave anything behind. There's nothing that's wasted in our lives. Even during the broken times in our lives, and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes, and I hope you're taking notes. Pretend that you're taking notes. It'll make me preach better and faster. But brokenness brings blessedness. We wish it wasn't that way. We wish it, that blessedness could come another way. But first the cross, then the crown. First the brokenness sometimes in life. But out of it, if we'll keep our hearts right, and we won't get bitter, and we won't hold a grudge, or hold an offense, or hold unforgiveness, or stay angry. We'll turn it over to God. Out of the brokenness, God can bring blessedness. Let me show you a verse of Scripture, Psalm 104. It says, And wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. Three things are mentioned here. Wine, Oil and bread. Now, I was kind of joking with the Lord a little bit that uh, if wine, cheese, and bread was mentioned, I would have known the psalmist was Italian, okay? <laughs> but wine, oil, and bread, these three elements, what do they have in common? Wine, how do you get wine? You have to crush the grapes. How do you get oil? You have to press the olives. And out comes oil. And how do you get bread? You have to smash and crush the grain into fine powder in order to get the bread. Wine makes the heart glad. Oil makes the face shine. And bread, well, it strengthens the heart. But it comes by way of crushing. You see, through brokenness can come blessedness. Gideon's pitchers had to be broken before victory could be realized. Paul was on a ship one day, the Apostle Paul, and a storm broke out, and the waves were beating against the ship and beating against the ship, and they feared for their lives. And the ship began to break apart, and the Bible says that God, because of Paul, spared everyone on that boat. And how did they make it to shore? They all clung to the broken fragments of that ship the broken pieces from that ship, they clung to them, and God used those broken pieces to bring them to safety. 
And I'm here to tell you that sometimes you may go through a storm in life. It seems like everything's busting up and everything's breaking up. Grab a hold of those broken pieces, those broken fragments, because God leaves nothing behind. He leaves no leftovers. He'll take those broken pieces in your life, and he'll bring you safely to the other side. I declare that in Jesus' name. Brokenness brings blessedness. You know, God can do more with the leftovers than he can the first overs. Because in, in, in God's economy, nothing's wasted. And that should be our motto in life. Nothing wasted. Nothing wasted. God, take, take my failures. Take my broken dreams. Take my hopes dashed against reality. Take the sorrow and use it for your glory, God. And the wonderful thing about this story is that not only does he do things in excess, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, but he doesn't leave anything behind. No leftovers. You see, in God's economy and in God's family and in God's kingdom, there are no leftovers. He doesn't leave anything behind. He doesn't throw anything away. He doesn't throw one experience away, but he'll use it for your good and, and his glory. And he won't throw one soul away. John 6, 37, all that come unto me, I will in no wise throw away. We live in a throwaway society. You get mad at your church, throw it away. You get mad at your marriage, throw it away. You get mad at your friendship, throw it away. You don't like your job, throw it away. You don't like whatever is happening in your world, we just toss things away. But we serve a God in heaven that doesn't throw anyone away. <laughs> Hallelujah. He salvages everything for his kingdom and for his glory. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not a throwaway. You're a prized possession. Go on, tell him that. You're not a throwaway. Woo, come on, you're a prize. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe the world has written you off. Maybe the world has tried to, tried to throw you away or discount you. Don't let the world discount you. Don't buy in the, to the lie that you're something less because of the color of your skin or the size of your body or the economic uh, resources you do or you don't have or because you were born on one side of the track or the other side of the track or because you weren't born here or you don't look this way or you don't act that way I want you to know that we are all created in the image and likeness of God and we can all become his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ but we have to be like God we need to make sure that we don't give God our leftovers that's why we worship God, either on Saturday night or at the end of the week, right before the beginning of a new week, or on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. We give this time to God. Why? Why? It would be easy to be like so many right now at home watching live video streaming. We're glad you're watching live video streaming. But why aren't you here? It takes effort to get up and get showered and get dressed and come to church. Amen. But we, we do this on the first day of the week because we're saying, God, we don't want to give you our leftovers. We want to give you the very best part of our life, the very best part of our week. And so we come and we worship, Lord. That's why the Bible talks about honor the Lord with the first fruits of all of your income so that your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. That's how God does it. He does it in excess. We might think, wow, that's wasteful. No, it's above and beyond, exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. But we have to honor God with the first fruits of our increase. You see, we don't pay the cell phone. We don't pay the cable bill. We don't pay, you know, the visa bill. And then what's left over, we bring to God. No, 
We honor the Lord with the first fruits. We give God that 10%. We give God that tithe. And God said, watch and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing where there's not room enough to contain it. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. That's why I don't want to get legalistic, but that's why usually the best time to have your devotion is in the early morning because you're giving God the best part of your day. When your energy level is, is, at, at, is, reaching, is going to be reaching its peak, not the end of the day. Now, some people are night people and don't get, I don't want to get legalistic on this, whether it's in the evening or in the, in the morning or at lunchtime. But we need to set aside time to read Scripture, just two chapters a day, three chapters a day. If you read like three chapters a day, you'll read through the Bible in a year, three to four chapters a day. But you don't have to be legalistic with that either. Just two chapters a day, and then pray about what you just read. You may not understand it. You may not fully grasp it. But there'll be much in there that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you. And just talk to God about what you read. That time, whether it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes or 45 minutes, that time set aside, God will give back to you. God will, God will reward you, and God will bless you. Let's give God our very best. I know it's tough. Balancing responsibilities of family and work and life. We want to make sure that we're not giving our, our, our spouses our leftovers. We want to make sure that we're not giving our kids our leftovers. And I know we have to work hard and we have to bust it and we have to sometimes put in overtime. And God love the single parent out there that's trying to hold on to jobs and juggle everything. It's not easy, but God's grace is sufficient. God will increase your energy. And God will show you a way out. And God will promote you. And God will bless you. That's his plan. To be the head and not the tail, above only, not beneath. Deuteronomy 28, if you'll put him first in your life. But we want to make sure that we're not giving the most important people in our life, beginning with God and our spouse and our children, our leftovers. And if we'll do what Jesus did in this miracle, he prioritized he prioritized the blessing of God. That's why he had more than enough. That's why he had leftovers. How did he prioritize? Because everything God does is decently and in order. So he had everybody sit in certain groups, certain little camps, small groups, like little life group, little fellowships. And then he multiplied the bread and fish, and then they distributed to everyone until everyone was full. And because he prioritized the blessing of God and the provision of God, there were leftovers. Test me now herewith, says the Lord. If he'll not do the same in your life, if you and I will just begin to prioritize God's blessing, his time, his talent, his treasure, the energy he's blessed you with, if you'll begin to prioritize that and you'll begin to uh, put God first in that, he will multiply it and he, you will see, you will see the blessing of God following you. But the greatest example of egregious extravagance, over-the-top, seemingly wasteful use of resources happens to be by a woman by the name of Mary. I want you to go to Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 3. It's an amazing story. Jesus was eating in Bethany at the home of Simon, who once had leprosy, when a woman, and we know according to John 12, this woman was Mary, the sister of, of Martha and Lazarus. When a woman came in with a very expensive bottle of sweet-smelling perfume after breaking it, because through brokenness comes blessedness, after breaking it, open she poured it she poured open the perfume on jesus's head this made some of the guests angry and they complained why such a waste we could have sold this perfume for more than 300 silver coins a year's wages about fifty thousand dollars in current currency of money 
and given the money to the poor. So they started saying cruel things to the woman. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing for me. You will always have the poor with you. And, wherever, and whenever you want, you can give to them. But you won't always have me here with you. She has done all she could by pouring perfume on my body to prepare it for burial. You know, people are funny. As long as you're wasting your resources on frivolity and foolishness and entertainment, you're just fine. But anytime you take your precious resources, time, talent, treasure, and you devote them out of love and devotion and dedication to Jesus Christ, the world looks at it and says, what a waste. Now, it's astounding to me that Mary had this expensive bottle of perfume worth a year's wages. That's, that's, a, that's a ton of money. What did she have it for? What was she preparing it for? We really don't know. We know that according to the chronology of events, in John's gospel, John 11, her brother Lazarus died, but she didn't use it to anoint him for his burial. Because chapter 12 is when the, the next event in the life of Jesus occurs, and it's this event in John's account. She saved it. She saved it for Jesus and it blessed him. And it was for an incredible moment prior to his trial, betrayal trial, and crucifixion. Now, this perfume, <laughs> uh, you know it takes 2.5 million flowers to yield one pound of jasmine concentrate? It takes 800 pounds of crushed roses to bring just one pound of concentrate. The jasmine of India was as costly as $12,000 per pound. How do you get this costly perfume? You break crush these flowers and out comes this perfume now this perfume in the day of Jesus let me tell you something it was potent okay there were like three levels to this perfume this expensive oil spikenard there was the, the first experience which was the fragrance that immediately would fill the room matter of fact this was so potent wealthy people would take this and they would treat their the wood that they would build their homes out of with this and it would last years the scent in their home so powerful was this that as it was poured upon Jesus's head and his beard and his face on his clothes and down his body that literally when people had this type of ointment on them this type of perfume when they would leave the room their scent would remain for hours, even at times they say days. Sometimes my wife says, Carl, honey, do you really need that much cologne? I said, yes, that's what Jesus did. <laughs> I want people to know before I arrive, I'm coming. I want them to know that after I've left, he's been here. So if you have allergies, don't come shake my hand. I'm sorry, I'd love you to shake my hand, but don't. Just trying to be like Jesus. I mean, you know, there's, I, I'm just, I'm old school, you know. I, 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 was, I was in line a while back, and there was this guy. I didn't know who he was, but he was a few guys ahead of me in line, you know, getting something. And I'm like, man, it smells good. I said, it's that guy. I'm like, man, Lord, he smells good, in a manly way. I'm like, man. There's nothing like a, a good-smelling man. He, was, he smelled good. He dressed good. You know, a man that looks like a man, dresses like a man, smells like a man. You know, that's a cool thing in life. And, uh... I thought about something. I thought, you know, he must live good. I mean, a guy that dresses good and smells good, he's got to live good. 
Turn to the person next to you and say, I know you're living good. Go on, tell them, I know you're living good. Come on. <laughs> so this ointment was so powerful, it would permeate a room. But here's the key. This, this, this ointment stayed with Jesus through his betrayal, through his trial, through his mockings, through his beatings. The soldier said, man, he smells good. The scent of love. The scent of love. Because someone loved him. Someone loved him extravagantly. Someone poured out their most prized possession upon him. And through the blood and the sweat and the dirt, as Jesus hung on that cross, you see, he was pouring out his life for you, for me, for the whole world. He was that very costly bottle of, of perfume. And it was broken and out poured out the blood and the water, his life for you and for me. And as he hung on that cross, through the blood, through the sweat, and through the dirt and the muck and the mire and the spitting and the shame, he smelled the scent of love. He knew that Mary wouldn't be the only one, but she was the first one. For the next 2,000 years, there would be literally tens of millions of Marys who unashamedly pour out their love on the Messiah. Contrast Mary and Judas. You see, it was Judas that said, what a waste! And it wasn't because he cared about the poor, he cared about himself. He was a thief. He stole money out of the offering bag, the Bible tells us. Criticism is a window into another person's soul. It shows you what they're made out of. Never go through life as a critic. Offer godly feedback and godly rebuke and constructive input to help people grow and, and, and become better in life. But never be a critic. Never criticize another human being. It only opens a window into your own soul. That criticism showed us the deceitful heart in Judas. Listen, Mary used money to worship the Lord. Mary used her money on the Lord. Judas used the Lord to make money. I'll tell you what's a waste. What Mary did was not a waste. What Judas did with his life was a waste. He sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Are you kidding me? And then what did he do with those 30 pieces of silver? He ended up throwing them away, and then he ended up throwing his life away at the end of a rope. It didn't have to be that way. Mary was a worshiper. Judas was a waster. One was a giver, and the other was a taker. That's the difference. Mary didn't waste her costly perfume because anything that we do for the Lord is never a waste when you come and give up your time your talent and your treasure to the body of Christ this is now the church is the body of Christ the world might say what a waste of your time what a waste of your money what a waste of your energy but like Mary we're pouring out our lives to the one that we love and it's through the pouring out of our lives that we're showing him our love our devotion and our dedication it's never a waste the world might say what a waste but Jesus says what a way to worship what a way Samson wasted his life on on carnal pleasures hanging out with hookers fooling around with Delilah he knew better than that he had the Nazarite vow being it up wasting his life away wasting it away he ended up throwing a portion a good portion of his life away he only 
reign for 20 years as a judge when the average judge would reign for 40 years. He cut it in half. He wasted his life. He threw it away. He ended up losing his sight, losing his freedom, and ultimately losing his life. The prodigal son, cashing in on his father's inheritance, going and living a prodigal, riotous life, he wasted his life until he came to his senses. And he said, what in the world am I doing? I need to get back home, back to the father's house. You see, God, in that same chapter of the Bible, Luke 15, he doesn't, he doesn't lose anything. He doesn't throw anything away. That Luke 15 talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And when the lost sheep was there, or the lost coin was there, in the story, Jesus is looking for that lost sheep. He's looking for that lost coin. He wants to leave no one behind. He wants to leave nothing behind. He wants to bring all the broken fragments together, and he wants through that brokenness to bring about blessedness in your life if you and I will allow him to. But think about it, as Jesus hung on that cross, people walked by that day and they said, what a waste. What a waste. They didn't understand. Thank God Mary did. The mother of Jesus, Mary, the mother did. John did. Just a handful were there. The rest scattered. The rest, the rest were afraid. But there was a handful there that day. They looked and they said, not a waste. What a worship. What an act of worship and obedience to the Father. Now, my friend, here's what I know. I really only know this for myself. I may know this for many of you, but I don't know this for all of you. And I'm not certain, but I can be certain for me. I hope you can be certain for you in that Jesus dying on that cross 2,000 years ago. For me, it wasn't a waste. God forbid I would ever let another day go by that what Jesus did on that cross was a waste for me. And it's my hope and my prayer that what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago for your life, it wasn't a waste. That you allow his love to be poured upon your life. You allow his grace to be poured upon your life. You allow his mercy to be poured upon your life so that everywhere you go, you become a sweet aroma, a fragrance of Christ to those that are around you, a fragrance of life to others. The, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, a fragrance of death. But may the scent of love and the scent of heaven and the scent of Jesus be all over your life in Jesus' name so that our life is not a waste. Hats off to Mary. Every time Mary's by name is mentioned three times in Scripture, every time she's mentioned, she's at the feet of Jesus. What a woman. What a woman. You see, an unwasted life is three things. An unwasted life gives God the broken fragments of their lives, gives their best to Christ first, and lives with no regrets. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we humbly come before you today and we thank you that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago was not a waste. We receive it. We receive the love, the grace, the mercy, the hope, the joy, the fountain of life that flows from that cross of Calvary. May it touch our hearts today. And Lord, may we commit that we're not going to waste our lives away in anger. We're not going to waste our lives away in some offense. We're not going to waste our lives away in envy and jealousy and bitterness. Life is too short and eternity is too long. Lord, wash us and cleanse us right now. And may we invest our lives, the remaining weeks or days, weeks, months, years that we have, hours that we have, 
May we not waste them away in foolishness and frivolity. May we make every moment count for your glory. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today, and you need to rededicate your life to Jesus, because like the prodigal son, you've been backslidden. You're not here today by accident. The Lord is reaching out to you, and with open arms, with loving open arms, he's ready to receive you. You need to pray this prayer with us here in a moment. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you must be born again. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. You can't get to heaven. Jesus is the only way. And you must turn to him in faith and receive him as Lord and Savior. Confess your sins and he will forgive you. He stands at the door of your heart knocking right now. If you'll hear his voice and open up your heart, he'll come into you and have fellowship with you and you can have fellowship with him. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. And give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family?